Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's the trailer, McKinnon, shoots and scores! Abs walk it on net, and they've scored! Abs with a lead, long shot, they score! Following the icing, call, Landeskog wins it. All the way back to the point it goes, this thing might have been deflected down by Landeskog, and the Abs have taken a 3-0 lead. Letty into a ton of traffic, deflected puck, picked up, they score! Vladimir Tarasenko, he got you the one, Joe. You're within two, 5.18 to go, second period. Again, Colorado dropping four back. They score! Robert Thomas on a great feed from Butchnevich. They busted through the four back of Colorado and they made it a one-goal game. Chopped near wing. Torupchenko there. They score! We're tied at Ball Arena in Denver. The Blues have come from behind. It was three to nothing. It's three three. He's got the blue, the red. He's got the blue. He's in. He dances. He shoots. He scores. Hat trick for Nathan McKinnon. He just went coast to coast. It might have sent the Colorado Avalanche to the conference finals on that one. Nadovich Nevich to Tarasenko. He shoots. They score. They're tied it up. It's the bailout at Ball Arena. The Blues have tied it again. 4-4 the score. 56 seconds to go. And Robert Thomas has pulled the Blues out. It was Tyler Bozak that got an assist on the Pat Maroon goal two, three years ago. He scores! Tyler Bozak in overtime. You can bring out the Zamboni. The St. Louis Blues are coming home. And they're bringing the Avalanche with them. Bozak wins it for the Blues. 5-4. to 3-38 into overtime. Bozy, baby! If that doesn't get you fired up on a Thursday morning, I don't know what will. Let's Alongside go. Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. We need to pull out all the Bud Light here Whoa. at Centene. 
Community Ice Center at the EB Granite <laughs> Studios. What a wonderful day this is. Man, I don't know about you guys, but I believed the whole time. Never I believed, once. I believed that Never once. once. Did I think that the Blues were losing that game? Not once. Yeah, that's not true. Down 3-0. Alex Ferrario's out here tweeting out stuff about how the Blues all season long didn't get shut out because they're not going to have another game. Look, Will was auto-corrected from Wood, so everyone pump the brakes a little bit here. I'm over here looking up who the offseason stars are going to be. What are the fourth liners that the Blues can go out there and acquire? Tanner saying, my guy, Ville Husso, stinks, it's over. Yeah, I saw Everything that. Everything is awful. Yeah, I saw that. And then, and then, the Blues come back from down 3-0. They tie up the game, and Nathan McKinnon scores what I believe to be one of the most incredible individual feats I've ever seen against the Blues. And they still won. They still came back to win. Alex Ferrario, what do you have for us? What a game. I mean, what what a showcase of just work by the St. Louis Blues and the ability to overcome adversity. Like, that's what really got me. This team is a veteran group of players. This is a team that mentally, I would imagine, was broken after that first period. When you allow a goal three minutes into an elimination game, you got to be sitting there thinking, well, it's just not in the cards for us. We ran into a giant in this second round, and health didn't go our way. We lost Jordan Bennington. We didn't have Tory Krug. This is just one of those series. And nobody can deny the fact that they thought it was over after it was 3 nothing when Landeskog scored. If you didn't, the only reason why is because you're an eternal optimist. No. That's it. it. There's even, no reason to believe at that point even, in time this team had a chance. Even Mike Schilt would be <laughs> sitting in front of that That's television true. saying, this That's is true. over. Yep, true. And the fact that, for me... Robert Thomas, or Vladimir Tarasenko, ignited something for the Blues. And I know it was the end of the second period, but that ignited a a moment for the Blues that sat there and said, we've got this, guys. It's a two-goal deficit. We've done this before, and we just did something that we have been struggling with all series long. Scored at even strength. Yeah. And then the third period opened up. And honestly, the ice was, was tilted in the... Blues direction. I mean, they were swarming Colorado. Colorado couldn't get the puck out of their zone. I think they iced it three times in the first 10 minutes of that period. And then, boom, Thomas gets his first one. That was the next moment where I'm thinking, oh, yeah, this is this has the perfect making of a Blues comeback because Robert Thomas got that bench lit up. They tied it. McKinnon scores. Adversity set in. Colorado Stadium is singing their end-of-the-game song, <laughs> Blink-182, and then, boom, they tied. And the moment they tied it, you just knew overtime was going to go in their direction. So this was as impressive. And I was talking to my dad about this, T-Bone, on the way in. I know you weren't alive for the Monday Night Miracle. Heck, I wasn't alive for the Monday Night Miracle. But my dad said, nothing will ever be able to come close to Monday Night Miracle for how great of a comeback that was. But he said, that was about as close as you can get to it. That, that was incredible. I. I gave up twice, guys. I, twice. That's how many times I gave up. I gave up on the 3 nothing oh, goal. Only twice? Yeah, I was oh, going to yeah. say, you gave up a lot more than twice. Well, well, you know, I count one of them as carrying over. I think that's fair to say. <laughs> so I, I gave up. I think 2 nothing. I gave up. Then 3 nothing. I yeah. really gave up. And then when they got it to 3-2 was when I first started feeling the comeback, especially because it was from Robert Thomas, a guy we've talked about all year long saying he doesn't shoot the puck enough. He's got a great shot, but he doesn't shoot enough. And we've talked about it. I don't think he got his first shot on goal in this series until game three. When he scored, I went, 
holy bleep, they have a chance here. And then when they tied up, I was like, oh, my God, they're going to go into overtime. And then that McKinnon goal was the one where I went, oh, well, it's over. Just a, a peek behind the curtain. I was on our social media account last night. I had the tweet ready to go saying that the Blues had lost the game and were eliminated. I had the picture. I had everything. I was just ready to hit the tweet button. And then I couldn't believe it when they added that goal to go into overtime. And when they went into overtime, I went, this team is going to win this game. I can't see them losing it, especially coming back twice in the way that they did. If they would have lost it, I would have been heartbroken. Look, peek behind the curtain for me also. Like at the end of a season, you usually, I, I put together a list of everyone that you want to thank because I want to make sure that we don't miss people out that do so much hard work for the regular season broadcast. And I had that list written out. And then as soon as, soon as they scored the goal to tie it, I crumbled it up and I threw it in the trash can. I'm like, nah, this is good. Should have kept that. Uh, Less no. work for later on after well, they win the Stanley Cup. <laughs> Whoa, yeah, that's true, man. No, there's going to be more people to thank because we're going to have a fair. bigger crew at the end of the Stanley Cup. It was unbelievable. I mean, here are some of the superlatives that came out of last night. The Blues are the first team to score two game-tying goals in the final five minutes of regulation when facing elimination. The only other team to do so in any playoff game was Buffalo in game one of the 2006 conference semifinals at Ottawa. That was when Buffalo was good. You know it's been a long time. The last time that the Blues came back from a three-goal deficit while facing elimination... Monday Night Miracle. 1986, the last time they came, overcame a three-goal deficit of any kind in the playoffs was 1998. That was also before Tanner Hendrickson was born. The Blues were outshot 18-9 to in the first period. They ended up outshooting the Avs 21-6 for the rest of the game from the middle of the third period until overtime was over. The Blues scored four goals in a span of less than 14 minutes. What we saw here in St. Louis where the dam broke for the Blues in the second period against the Avs where they had four goals in five minutes. on the air, man. The Blues basically had that last night while facing elimination on the road in an environment that, man, we can give Avs fan as much crap as we want to, and they deserve all of it. And by the way, we're going to hear a lot from Colorado Sports Radio, which I was listening to earlier this morning, and their play-by-play from last (laughs) night. We'll relive all of that coming up here in a little bit today. But as much crap as we want to give them, that place was rocking after that Nathan McKinnon goal. And if the Blues had felt like at that point in time with, what, two and a half minutes to go, ah, just wasn't meant to be. This was the Nathan McKinnon game. He just had his I've arrived moment in the playoffs. It was his first opportunity to be able to reach the Western Conference final. And he did something that, man, there's maybe three guys in the world that can make the play that he made last night. It's over. I would have understood. Not this team. Not this year. We've been talking all year long, Alex, about what makes this team different than the last two seasons. Why are they different than the teams that couldn't get out of the first round? Which saw last night's what makes them different. Which saw in game four against the Minnesota Wild. That is what makes them different. You know I'm a numbers guy. There are no numbers that support what we watched last night. Nothing? Not even Roar Bacon? Nothing supports what we watched last night. That's impressive. That was heart. That was intestinal fortitude. That was balls. That's what that was last night. Cajones. The Blues had their major league Go ahead and grab them if you got them. That was really bleeping impressive, man. I I still can't believe it. I'm in absolute shock that they were able to actually come back from that deficit. In all reality, 
this was a game, and I sent you guys this message last night, and, and I tried to do this without the Homer hat on. I tried to do this as a casual hockey fan. If you're Colorado and that just happened to you, Things aren't feeling good right now. No. I know you're up 3-2. I know you can still close out this series on home ice. Or, I'm sorry, on the road. And basically, like, this is a perfect situation for Colorado. Because, oh, yeah, the, the, the Blues fans, they were terrible to Nazem Kadri. And we went in and there, we beat them twice. But think about this. Colorado is thinking right now, all right, we got to go back. We don't want to come back for game seven. And we just beat this team twice on home ice. But those were two different teams than what Colorado's going to be seeing tomorrow night. The first game, the Blues were out playing Colorado up until Bennington got injured. And then the life was sucked out of that arena. And rightfully so. Game four, the Blues' focus was solely on Nazem Kadri. The Colorado Avalanche have not seen this team at Enterprise Center yet. And if I'm Colorado, I'm starting to get a little concerned because not only does Ryan O'Reilly and David Perron know how to change the outcome of a hockey game, but now you just woke up Robert Thomas. Now you just woke up Vladimir Tarasenko. And on top of that, I don't know if it's true, but there's a possibility that Tory Krug can come back. Oh, baby. I'm not going to get too worked up here because, look, we know He's it's... not reporting anything. I want to make this very clear to all of yeah. you in the audience. Don't go out there on Twitter and say Alex no, no, Ferrario's no. reporting that no. Tory Krug's let coming me, back. Let all me right, back this up. Tweet. Let me back this up. There is no comments of Tory Krug coming back. But what I can say is the fact that Tory Krug has been skating with the guys the last couple of days. And if you've ever needed somebody to come back, it would be in this circumstance. I don't think it's possible in this one. I think Game 7 might be more likely. But just in Colorado's mindset, they're thinking, okay, we've just extended this series and we've opened a door for St. Louis. And I don't think that's a good feeling for a group of guys who have been in this circumstance. They've lost three straight before. Heck, they lost four straight before to Vegas. This isn't a good feeling for Colorado right now. So last night was one of two games for the Blues. It was either the Albert Pujols home run off of Bradledge. We know how that series ended. I don't care how that series ended. That was an unbelievable moment here in St. Louis. It was either that for the Blues where you're going to remember it for the rest of your life. This game will be remembered no matter what. That is how special that performance was last night that you saw in Colorado. It'll either be that, or it'll be the Blues game six from 2011 in the World Series for the the, yeah. um, the Car- Cardinals. That's it'll be it- one of those two. That's how it's going to be remembered. That's what it felt like for me last night. I, I mean, just the, the roller coaster ride of emotions that I went through in that game. I mean, guys, in the second period, it's like I'm looking at it as, all right, let's start thinking about the offseason. And yep. then he's, Tarasenko scores that goal, and you're like, all right, we get back into it. I have never gone from from pure joy to pure depression in a matter of two minutes. And that's what took place from the moment Justin Falk scored that goal to the moment uh, Nathan McKinnon scored that goal. And then you went from ecstasy to existential crisis. Exactly. <laughs> and then at the end of that period, when they score another one, it's like, oh, my freaking God. And then overtime, I mean, guys, my hemorrhoids were flaring up because I was getting real concerned about what was going to take place. And then you just get and I love Tyler Bozak's quote at the end of that game. No shot is a bad shot in overtime. And he's right. Just like Josh Manson scored a goal, just put the puck on net. And that's what I saw happen last night. 65780 is the air comfort service text line from the 636. My oh my boys, you suddenly changed your tune. Well, hell bleeping yeah, we did. Yeah, did you watch now. that game last night? Like, how could you not change your tune after watching what we just saw? And I do want to say one more thing, Alex. 
I I don't know how you can watch this series so far and still believe what Dom has been spewing over at the Athletic. I don't I don't listen to uh, Satan in his true form on in the Athletic. The only game that got away from the Blues in this series thus far that really got away from them was the game in which their goalie got ran. Every other game has been pretty darn close. Every game in this series has been a one-goal deficit going into the third period. I just don't understand how you could watch these teams all season, look at the statistics on paper, and say to yourself, one of these teams has an 85% chance to win. Either way. And now as we're watching the series, and yes, the Blues were and should have been underdogs coming in. These teams are pretty damn close, man. They're pretty damn close. And what you saw last night was a team that has so much bleep and heart. I am. I heard Curb say this last night, and not to sound paternalistic, but, man, I'm so damn proud of that team. For that team to be our squad, God, that was cool. That was really cool to watch. And we've got a ton of coverage for you guys throughout the day today. We'll have continued coverage tomorrow. Hopefully, coverage going into the Western Conference Finals on Monday. We've got it all for you right here on 101 ESPN, your home for the St. Louis Blues. Tanner, we're going to go ahead and double break here to be able to get ourselves back on clock. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Coming up on the other side. We've got to get a Alex Ferrario, Ferrario 5 today. Oh, man. It was that big of a night. We've got to get one. The five under-the-radar plays that led to the comeback. I've seen a lot of people on the text line saying, hey, don't forget to give this guy credit. We'll do that in the next segment, including Ville Husso, who stepped up in a massive, massive way last night. Boy, do they need it, and I don't think the Blues are at a goalie deficit anymore. We'll talk about that next on 101 ESPN. Bozy, baby! Back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Credit to a lot of different guys who are able to make that comeback possible for the Blues. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Huso wasn't perfect. But he was pretty darn good last night, and that's all you need him to be. He ended up giving up a few goals that you probably would have wanted back early on in that game. But Alex, I thought overall he did pretty much what you needed in that one. And uh, a lot of those goals were on man rushes and Nathan McKinnon just being unbelievable. You know, like that sometimes you got to tip your cap to the opposing team, and that's what I would do after last night's game. But he is just one of many players that we've got to give credit to from last night. Under the radar, plays or oh, players oh. that led to the comeback. Alex, is this calling for a Ferrario 5? You are gosh dang right it does, BK. T-Boat, hit the open. You're listening to BK and Ferrario. It's time for the Ferrario 5, a top five list of very random things. So, Ferrario, give us your top five. Well, there ain't nothing random about this damn list. I got a good one ready for you boys. I got an honorary mention, though. So a Ferrari 05 is going to be a Ferrari 05 and a half if that's allowed. Okay. Of course it's allowed. It's my segment. T-Bone, not your segment. Game, you could have 10 if you wanted. Oh, oh T-Bone 10? You were for Ferrari 10? <laughs> no, not a T-Bone 10. The honorary mention is Nathan McKinnon's hat trick goal. Can I explain why? Please do. He's not a blue. No, he's not I a blue. I wish he was, though. Let me, let me explain here. 
that hat trick resulted in everyone throwing hats on the ice. It resulted in an extra five to seven minutes for the Blues to regain their composure. If that's Landeskog scoring a goal, if that's Kadri scoring a goal, nobody's celebrating like that. They're celebrating, but the puck's going to get dropped a couple seconds later, and the game is going to continue, and the Blues don't have their timeout anymore. I think that was a massive moment for the Blues to sit there and witness everyone celebrating, acting like the game was over, and the Blues knowing that there's two minutes and 16 seconds left to play in this game. They were able to spend that seven, eight minutes huddled around their bench, talking with Steve Ott and Craig Berube, setting up the game plan that resulted in them tying the goal. So that's my honorary mention in this one. I know, you didn't expect that, did you? Now the rest are Blues. There's no Colorado Avalanches on this one. My fifth one in this is... Ivan Barbashev and Nathan Walker on that overtime goal. Tyler Bozak is going to get the credit for that one, and rightfully so with that shot. But Barbashev and Walker both led to that scoring chance for Tyler Bozak. Barbashev made the play where he dumped the puck in far side of the ice to make Colorado go after it. And I saw Mike Kelly discussing on NHL Network, and he called it the place and chase rather than the dump and chase. And that's exactly, that might have been a set play. Much like that Robert Thomas overtime pass to Pat Maroon off of Ben Bishop's pad against Dallas, it might have been a set play. But Barbashev puts it in the right spot. He and Nathan Walker go after it. Barbashev regains it, and then he goes right to the front of the net after he passes it to Nick Letty, and then they take the eyes away from Darcy Kemper. That was an impactful moment for Tyler Bozak to score that goal because, one, he put it in the right spot to help his team, and two, he and Nathan Walker understood the assignment and went right to the front of the net. Yeah, uh, that was one of those that stood out to me as well, including Ivan Barbashev being on the fourth line yeah. in that moment, and that was something that happened later on in that game. Alexi Torpchenko was bumped up. We wondered if maybe that could happen at some point in this series. Barbie had had a really tough game once again. He gets bumped down. And then he makes a play that leads to the game-winning goal. Like, that is a a big play from a guy that has had his fair share of struggles so far in the playoffs. Full credit to him for not pouting, not getting down on himself, and making a big play in a big moment. Absolutely. Uh, fourth thing in this one for our Ferrari 05, the under-radar moments, Ville Husso save in the third period. There was a moment where Nathan McKinnon had taken the puck into the zone and he cycled it a little bit. He took a slap shot from right just above the left faceoff circle. That was a slap shot that was going to the back of the net. And Huso got over and made a blocker save on it to push it out of the zone. That was one of those momentum-shifting moments where Nathan McKinnon had already stolen the show in that game, looking for the hat trick, and Huso gets over there to make that save for the Blues. I think that was a very impactful moment in this game. And there were other ones that he made in the second period, a couple of sliding saves that he went post-to-post with. He kept the Blues alive, even despite him giving up three goals. I would say in the second half of that game, Ville Huso, you can even argue he was pretty darn good. Yeah, He struggled to start things off. That Nathan McKinnon goal, I mean... I, I don't know what you want him to do on that. I, I don't think there's, other than like Vasilevsky or guys like that, there's not a whole lot a whole lot of guys that I expect to make that save. That was an otherworldly play by Nathan McKinnon uh, on his hat trick goal. 
from the midway point through the second period up until the very end of that game, I had full confidence more often than not that Villahuso was going to be able to make those saves. So, yeah, I'm with you. That pl that play in particular was big, but Villahuso in the second half, I, I think you could say that his was, uh, was huge. Yeah, and I mean, the team in front of him played a great job in terms of keeping the puck away to the outside, yep. but when they needed him, he made the save that you absolutely wanted. Now, this one, it's not going to sound like an under-the-radar moment, but I really feel like there was other elements that went into it. It was Robert Thomas's first goal. One, you scored the goal, the first goal in that second or in the third period, and it was continuing off the momentum from Vladimir Tarasenko. And the Blues could have gotten down before that Thomas goal because at that moment they were just peppering Darcy Kemper with shots, and he was making save after save after save. And you're thinking, man, we're not going to get something past this guy. But Robert Thomas and Pavel Buchnevich, they go through the ice with four guys on the ice for Colorado. They recognize the late change by the Avalanche, and Thomas just takes the shot. He had a massive game last night, six shots on goal after having only three in the series prior to last night, and those three came on one game. But it was Thomas's, I think him scoring that goal, it's the, it's the equivalent of a big blocked shot from somebody because the team knows that he's struggling, and he gets that goal in, and everyone's thinking, all right, boys, he's working hard. Let's continue with what he's doing there. So I, I got to give credit to Robert Thomas, and I know a lot of people will be for a two-goal game, but that was a goal I felt like that woke the rest of that team up for that third period. So I've got two things on Robert Thomas. One, he drove to the net. That was the biggest thing on that goal is that he's standing in front of the net, and that was something the Blues had a lot of issues with in the first few games of this series. They just weren't getting enough traffic in front of Darcy Kemper. Last night you did, and we saw the result. That is the difference between them winning and losing last night is having guys go to the net. So that's one. Two, regardless of what happens the rest of this series, I'm so happy that Robert Thomas had that performance. He needed that in such a bad way. You could sense it, man. He was... He just didn't look like the same guy as we saw in the regular season. Last night, he had six shots on net. Prior to that in this series, he had three shots on net. So he doubled up his shots from the first four games of the series in game five. That's the difference for him. He's just got to be active. When he plays like that, it's a completely different Blues team. And if he continues performing like that and his line continues performing the way that they did, because Tarasenko and Buchanevich both also had good games last night, well, buddy, I wouldn't want to be—I wouldn't want to be the Abs when I, they're playing that I way. I guarantee a lot of work was placed on the uh, lap of Jared Bednar on the plane ride to St. Louis last night because of that Thomas performance. Because 100%. he was—he was invisible in the series, and now it's like, oh, great! Now we got to worry about this guy on top of all of the other elements that came into this game. I'm really curious what your what your top two are because I think I've got three other things that I would mention. So I'm curious what you go with in your top two. Well, the uh, number two on this one, and number one and two can both be argued. I could hear them out, but I think one was a lot bigger for me than two. Number two is Robert Bortuzzo's blocked shot there in overtime. Uh, watch the replay again because my he man... You should get credit for a save. Oh, my God, yeah. <laughs> I'm serious. But but I, I said this on postgame last night. Think about it. This was the guy that four games ago, he took a puck to the face against Minnesota and missed two games. And he's still diving in front of shots by Colorado. Like, that is just the heart and soul of a team right there. That's why Robert Portuzo plays, because of those moments. And it's not that he blocked the shot. He played it so well when he was on the ice because he didn't know where it was. He looked behind him, and the puck was in front of him. And Lekkonen is right there looking to jam home the rebound. But Robert Portuzo looks behind him, and he swipes his stick to the left. 
to push it past Lekkonen's stick. That was just a big-time moment there for the Blues because the game could have been over if not for Robert Bortuzzo in front of the net. Totally with you. It was the most underrated moment of the game, and I know a lot of Blues fans are giving him the proper credit that he deserves. I understand that Robert Bortuzzo is not a perfect player. He's got his faults, and during the regular season, there are times that I get as frustrated with his performance as anybody. But that's why you have him. For moments like that, or moments like the five-on-three power play where he has no stick earlier this year, and he's using his body to go left to right, up to down, that's Robert Bortuzzo. And you need guys like that in the biggest possible moments. That was a massive play that saved the season for the St. Louis Blues. Absolutely. And this play, the reason it's number one is because I think it's bigger than Robert Bortuzzo. And it's kind of a dual play for me. It's Justin Falk in the end of that third period. So Gabriel Landeskog, who I got to imagine he's going to be seeing nightmares for the next couple of weeks, depending on the outcome of this series. Landeskog has the puck, decides not to shoot to the empty net. So he decides to skate it. He gets the blue line, still doesn't shoot it. Gets the red line, still doesn't shoot it. And then once he's on the red line, he decides to bank it off of the boards to try and get it past Justin Falk. The problem is Justin Falk stops that puck from going in the empty net. And what happens? About 60 seconds later, he takes it up the ice. He keeps the puck in with his skate on the blue line. And Colorado, I think, was questioning if they were going to look at it or not. Wasn't offsides, wasn't even close. But he keeps it in with his stick and then puts the puck towards the net. Lo and behold, Robert Thomas picks up that rebound. Justin Falk saved the game. I mean, you could you could talk about Tyler Bozek's score. You could talk about Bortuzzo's block shot, whatever you want. Justin Falk saved that game because he kept that puck from going in the net. He had such a good game overall. Best game of the series. He was awesome last night. Finished with 29 minutes on the ice overall. Pareko, by the way, just about the same, 28-38 in terms of ice time. We've had a lot of conversations this year about, hey, do the Blues have a legit number one defenseman? Maybe they don't. Maybe it's like a pitching staff that has two guys that are really good at the front end of it. But I feel pretty darn good going into next year with those guys being your best defensemen. If that's what they enter the season with next year, I don't think we have to have those conversations any longer. And that is something that came out of this series that I'm really happy about. I do want to give credit to one other player. I mentioned there were three things that I think yeah. you could go with for two different spots. Can I, and there were 10 different things. Can I guess on this one? Sure. Was it Pavel Buchnevich? It wasn't, but he would have been another. He, that pass to Thomas was good. Unbelievable. Nick Letty. Yeah. Nick Letty had an underrated, really impressive performance last <laughs> yeah, night. Guy had four assists. They changed it to three because they gave that uh, goal to Jordan Cairo instead of Justin Falk. Oh, really? They, that they was Justin it. Falk's goal. I, I was wondering was when Falk's it happened. I, I do think it was Cairo. It, it, it the way like it bounces Falk's off stick, of the though. puck, or the way that it bounces off of the stick, I think if it was Falk, it would have changed direction a little bit more. Whereas Kyra was coming straight on. So I do think it was actually Kyra. I think they got it right. But Nick Letty was really good last night, man. And I think you remember when you see him out there as opposed to when he was missing so many games. The impact that he can just have in your own zone. Like sometimes those easy passes that he makes, they ain't so easy when it's Kelly Rosen out there. Or when you've got Scott Perunovich trying to make them. And that is not a shot against either of those guys. But they call him Steady Letty for a reason. Yeah, they do. And he was really darn steady last night. So I got to give yeah. him some some credit as well. And look, there's there's so so much credit that could go around in this 100%. one. I mean, Ryan O'Reilly had a really good game in the faceoff circle once again. That's what I think was so impressive about that performance last night is that was the game where you lost your leaders. 
that was the game where Ryan O'Reilly and David Perron would arguably have probably the worst game of their series. Now, they were better than what people are going to give them credit for because, yeah, they didn't get points. But, again, O'Reilly was great on the faceoffs. Perron was hitting everything. They were creating offense despite not picking up points. But they were a minus one combined with zero shots on goal. Yeah. That was the game, and I, I kind of equate it to game number five against Minnesota. That was the game where you're like, we got to get somebody else here. And Vladdy shows up and scores a hat trick. That was the game where it's, okay, you don't have our top two players. Who else is going to step up? And you didn't just get one guy stepped up. You had about five guys step up. Yeah. The other thing that I just love is Justin Falk, one shot on goal. Or two shot. Yeah, one shot for him. Letty, one shot. Mikola, shot. Pareko, two shot. Scandella, one shot. The blue line got involved offensively as well. And we've been saying all series, just throw pucks. Throw pucks at Darcy Kemper, and eventually they're going to start going in, and you're going to get some rebound opportunities because he's a one-save goalie right now. Yeah, well... He's become Marc-Andre Fleury. Exactly. You said that yesterday or two games ago where you told me that, and I mean, it was spot on, but I really felt like Craig Berube in the game plan of that one last night just basically said, F it. I really felt like it was, guys... No more of this quality over quantity shots. Just start putting pucks on net. No more of this, well, we got to make sure we're focusing on the neutral zone. No, blanket. Let Ville Husso worry about the odd man rushes if they take place. we got to score goals at even strength. And defense was involved with every single offensive uh, goal last night. So Michael Lombardi is a former NFL general manager. He was with the Patriots for a long time, ended up taking over the Browns, and he does a podcast now. And he always talks about how in the NFL – This is a weird way to state it, but this is his phrasing, not mine. You can't win games until you avoid losing them. And I think that's the way that the Blues had been playing, is that they were just trying not to lose. They were so scared of the odd man rushes going in the other direction that it almost took away from what makes them greater, what makes them have the ability to score consistently against this team. And last night, I think that's what you're getting at there, Alex, is they said, screw it. If we lose this game because they get odd man rushes, so be it. But we're certainly not going to win it unless we start taking some chances. And they started taking those chances, and it paid off for them in a big, big way. The defensemen started pinching more. I know at some point during the intermission, I think it was somebody on the TNT uh, intermission report where they were like, whoa, is, is Justin Falk like, behind the net right now? Nico Mikula <laughs> kept acting like a forward, and it's like, what's going on right now? And can that bite them? Absolutely. Could it come back to be something that it looks real bad in game six or seven? Sure. But I would rather them lose that way by going balls to the wall as opposed to them just trying to do what they did in the first period in game number four where it's like, okay, we're going to get out shot 15 to three and we're just going to hold on to our butts hoping that this thing works out for us. Hold on to your butts, ladies and gentlemen. Hold on to your butts. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up in 15 minutes, we're going to relive that game from the Colorado perspective because, baby, was it fun for me to listen to those play-by-play highlights and lowlights last night. We'll let you hear those coming up at 12 o'clock. We'll listen to some of 104.3 The Fan out in Denver, their discussion from last night's game at 12 o'clock as well but coming up next let's get some of your questions we'll try to have some answers here on 101 espn day off tomorrow bose you got a lot of work at home i know with kids and vacuuming so take the day to rest up we're right back to the bk and ferrario podcast presented by dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 espn you've got questions we may have the answers Maybe text now to 65780. It's PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 
55780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. In 10 minutes, we will relive that night from uh -huh. the Colorado perspective. You're going to want to hear this. I've also got some quotes from their columnist out in Colorado on what that game meant to the Avalanche. So we'll get to that. I promise you're going to want to hear this one. We'll get to that coming up in about 10 minutes or so. Let's get to your questions right now, though, from the 618. Guys, does this victory hurt Colorado more than if the Blues would have just come out and dominated from the start? I think it may have hurt them more mentally to lose the way they did last night versus if they were just blown out from the very beginning. Uh... Yes and no. I mean, look, if you blow them out, like Colorado's got to be thinking, my God, we might have just woken a giant. This hurts because you had a 3 nothing lead. But I also feel like Colorado's side, you'd be looking at this saying, all right, so we played poorly in a period and a half. We outplayed them for one and a half periods. We just got to keep the pedal to the metal. But the difference is, I don't really know if this was just Colorado sitting back or if this was Colorado suffering from the fact that the Blues just had a swarm of offense. Because, like, they had their moments – they just got beat to the puck. Like, there were more puck battles for St. Louis. There were three guys on one loose puck, which was the Blues going all out in this one. But if I'm looking at this from a Colorado perspective, I have to be thinking, okay, they just emptied the tank for a game like that. How much do they really have in this one? So I don't think Colorado's by it out of this by any means. I think Colorado's looking at this as, all right, we got a win in St. Louis, which we've done two already. I I think this one stings way more that they blew the 3 nothing lead and blew a 4-3 lead under a minute to go and lost in overtime than it would if you got blown out. Because if you got blown out of the water in this game, you could just mark it off as, okay, that was a bad game. We've got two more games to just kind of reset. This game, you actually finally got McCar or excuse me, you finally got McKinnon that woke up. I thought McCarr played a very good game. You got your top-end guys that were scoring. I mean, McKinnon had a hat trick. You're up 3 nothing, and then all of a sudden you blow it, and then McKinnon goes full God mode and ends up scoring that fourth goal, and then you still lose. That stings way more to me than it does this and to your point too Alex because they went all out for that game they were trying to close out that series last night and now you lose and you have to come back to St. Louis and you weren't just blown out of the water where you can just throw it into the wastebasket and say everybody has a bad game no you have to come into St. Louis and go holy crap we just played one of our best games we just finally got our top guy going and we still lost and now we have to come back to St. Louis and figure out a way to win in game six Remember how it felt in St. Louis going into game six where you're like, you have to win this one. You have to win this one because going back out there to be able to win game seven against the Wild, I, I don't know that this, I don't know that it, it's going to be a good situation. That felt like a must win game for the Blues. That's how game six is for the Avs. Well, that's how game six is for St. Louis also. I mean, we just saw what a must win game was for the Blues when you're right. up three to one, and now imagine doing it when you're on home ice. Right. What, what I mean by that, though, is the opposite side. The pressure now goes to the Colorado side. Last night, the pressure was exclusively on the Blues. Tomorrow night, the pressure will go to Colorado, where if they get down early, the tight cheeks are going to start coming in in a big way. So did that put a lot of pressure on the Avs? Absolutely. But going into Friday night's game, I think we've seen this in this series, in the last one, whatever. Momentum doesn't necessarily always carry game to game. In game, it absolutely can be meaningful. Game to game, though, I, I don't think it always carries over. So the Blues are still going to have to play their butts off to be able to win this one in game six. Uh, but yeah, it definitely hurts more. That that one, imagine being an Avs fan today. That, that would not I be would going over well. I would never be an Avs fan. From the 206, serious question for you guys. Do you sit Jordan Cairo? How do you assess his performance so far in this series? Jordan Cairo had an impact on the tying goal that 
I think it was Justin Falks, but they've credited to Kairou. Look, Kairou has his flaws, just like Robert Thomas has his flaws in the playoffs. I mean, we were talking about Robert Thomas before last night, wondering what's wrong with him. Jordan Kairou, this is what we talked about with David Backus yesterday. Like, when you're a young player, you have to realize that every decision you make can cost you a game, unlike a regular season game. And there were some decisions that costed goals for the Blues because of Jordan Kairou. But no, you're not sitting a guy who has the potential to score a goal for you. You basically look at him and you say, look, you did good things here. You did bad things here. Let's let's clean it up for game number six. You absolutely don't sit Jordan Cairo. Yeah, no, I'm with you. You can't sit Jordan Cairo. I mean, look, is he going through the learning curves of the playoffs? Yeah, absolutely. You can see it at times. But he has the ability, and you mentioned this here, Alex, to take over a game. I mean, we talk about Vladimir Tarasenko when he woke up against the Minnesota Wild. Jordan Cairo can do the exact same thing. Jordan Cairo can take over a game. I mean, there's no coincidence he has, what, seven goals now in the playoffs since they're counting that one for him and I think he's still a minus he's got like nine points if I'm not mistaken but he can take over a hockey game for you so no you cannot take him out you have to live with the flaws and you just hope that they don't end up coming back to bite you look I'm the biggest Logan Brown fan there is but you're telling me you'd rather have Logan Brown paying than Jordan Cairo no. no come on now yeah it, it, I understand the frustration at times with Jordan Cairo he has not been great in the playoffs but his goal scoring ability is something that you just need out there you just do, and you live with everything else that comes along with it. From the 618, do you guys think that Alexei Torbchenko has earned the opportunity to play in the top nine in game six, or do you go back to Barbie there to start out the next game? Um, I think you go back to Barbie there, try and build off the momentum that he gets from being a big part of that Tyler Bozak goal. I think what Craig Berube has is the opportunity to put guys in a position where you can exploit a mismatch and like he did uh, in yesterday's game like Alexi Torbchenko jumped up on that line with Jordan Kairou and Braden Shen which resulted in Kairou and Falk uh, going to the front of the net Torbchenko took that shot I don't start him there but I look at it as if Barbie's not going or if you need a little bit of a spark you flip Torbchenko up and you put him on top but you get the final matchups in this one so I would imagine that you're going to keep Barbie in that position and see if he can build off the confidence yeah I'm with you I, I wouldn't start him there but if, if Barbie struggles early on then you can bump Torbchenko up into that top nine I mean Jamie said it best I think it was two days ago where he said you know you need your top nine guys you need to give them the most ice time possible because you need your best players in an elimination game so if Barbie can show up and build off that confidence then you don't want him starting on the fourth line you want him being in the top nine and then if he struggles early on then yeah you go right back to Torbchenko because you feel comfortable in his ability to take over that role of Ivan Barbashev. I'm making the switch. Uh, I'm ready to do so. I think Torbchenko has been you can feel his presence on the ice on a consistent basis more so than you have at any point in the playoffs from Ivan Barbashev. And that that is the reason why I'm doing it. I also think that he creates space towards the front of the net for guys like Shin and Kairu and his direct play where he is just he gets that puck on his stick, and he is going to the net. You know exactly where he's going. I think that predictability helps guys like Shin and Kairou as well. So I, I would be making that switch. I think going into the next game, I would have him on my third line with Ivan Barbashev starting the game on my fourth line. If you want to change it up later on, if Barbie starts playing better on that fourth line, go for it. But I would start the game with uh, Torpchenko well, on the third line. You've for been me. trying to trade him for the last six months. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. 
It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll react to the uh, Craig Berube press availability. Expected to talk to the media coming up here in just a little bit, so we'll hear what he has to say. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, Joey Vitale joins us at 1230. But next, we're going to relive that night from the Colorado perspective. Oh, the sweet tears of Colorado Avalanche fan. We'll listen to him next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Seven eight zero is the air comfort service text line from the nine eight zero. It's funny you all can play sports talk radio from Denver after yesterday's game, but you sure didn't do so after game number five. You're all celebrating like you just won the Stanley Cup. Have you ever heard of acting like you've been there before? Yeah, let me know when you get there past the second round, Colorado. I think you're celebrating today because you know eventually it'll be over. We're celebrating like we've never been here before because what we saw last night is something I've never seen before. The last time that it happened for the Blues was in 1986. So, yeah, in my lifetime, we've quite literally never seen a collapse like what your team did last night against the St. Louis Blues. Yeah, well, we also uh, have seen a Stanley Cup uh, three years ago. Last time you saw one was 2001. The Blues regularly advanced past the uh, second round of the playoffs. When was the last time that the Uh, Avs did so? 2002, I think. That was when Joe Sackick was actually playing hockey still. Oh, yeah, and they had... They had that Roy Pat, guy. Yeah, Patrick that. Roy. They, they had a guy <laughs> named uh, a Peter Forsberg or, or something. I don't know. Let's tell you what. Go back to listen to Colorado Radio talk about how your team choked last ah, night. You don't have to do that. We'll play that oh, for okay, you here good. in just a minute. So they can hear Colorado Radio here on St. Louis Radio. That's right. Good. So I wanted to pass this along. We're going to do a little bit of Colorado perspective from last night in this segment. Hold this on. comes from their sports columnist in the Denver Post. All right, Alex? All right. He wrote after the game last night, if Colorado needs Darcy Kemper to stand on his head to win the cup, we're all going to be crying in our beer. He is no Patrick Waugh. Nobody is ever going to christen him St. Darcy. With one more loss in this series, the Abs could officially have a goaltender controversy, which is a place no team wants to be heading into the pressure cooker of a game number seven. The Blues might not be a better team than Colorado, but they are mentally tougher. The prospect of losing three in a row to St. Louis, including two at home, seems like a collapse too unfathomable to ever happen. So, so some may say that they had a better goaltender last year in Philip Grubauer than this year in Darcy Kemper. Some, some might say. And last night was not exactly a great moment for St. Darcy. Would you like to listen to what it sounded like? We've heard Chris Kerber's calls, and oh. Tanner will have the open for you that we heard oh. in the opening today, coming up here in about 10 minutes or so. Why don't we listen to what that sounded like from the Colorado perspective last night on Altitude Let's hear Sports. Nico Rantanen couldn't get a handle on it. Shot is blocked by Eric Johnson. Still alive. Another shot. Blocked by Eric Johnson again. He's a machine. Kale McCarr bouncing puck out in front. They score. Incredible. McKinnon with two goals. McKinnon in between the circles. McKinnon. He scores! Oh my goodness gracious me! Nathan McKinnon throw the chapeau! The Mac Attack is back with a goal and a play that you will hear and see over and over and over and over. I don't believe it. I simply do not believe it. Nathan McKinnon goes right to left, coast to coast, 
He took the moment. He has three, and the Avalanche are up by one with 2.46 to go in the third Here's period. Here's Kuznevich has room to shoot down. Low, Tarasenko shot, rebound, they oh, score. Gotta be kidding. Robert Thomas, Kemper thought he had it. It went right through him, and the Blues have tied it up with 56 seconds to go in the third period. It's unbelievable. Letty settles it down, sends it towards the net. Nachushkin has it stolen by Bozak. Let's it fly, they score. Bozak through the legs of Darcy Kemper, and the Blues complete the comeback. They live to fight another day, and game six will be in St. Louis coming up on Friday. What's your favorite part of that, Alex? Uh, your you, favorite part of that was what? you got to be kidding me. <laughs> got it. That's fantastic. And by the way, I love Connor McGahee. He's like, great. He is so good at what he does, and he was the guy who was doing the play-by-play on all of those. He is so good at what he does. Not just the enthusiasm because he's a fan, but also the way he can throw in like the Mac attack is back and all hail kale. He is really good at what he does. He is, and those calls were outstanding. And I think he's right on the uh, Nathan McKinnon goal. Like he said, this is a play you're going to be seeing oh, yeah. over and over and over and over again. Man, anybody that was a national analyst or just a sports fan that isn't even necessarily a hockey fan, when they saw that yesterday on social media, the reactions were all the same. Holy bleep, I can't believe what I just witnessed. I mean, it was one of the all-time great playoff plays that you'll see, and it felt like it was an all-time great playoff play that you'll see to clinch a series for the abs, and then for it to go from that to, you've got to be kidding me, that's unbelievable, there will be a game six in St. Louis. Whoo, buddy, I cannot even imagine what that was like watching that from Colorado's perspective and also knowing what their history has been in the second round of the playoffs. All of that is the backdrop to this, right? And for that to happen last night, woo, buddy, at home, yikes, 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 yikes. Now, let's hear from 104.3 The Fan, the basically the equivalent of 101 ESPN out in Denver, but Colorado. Better. Here's Denver's sports radio this morning talking about whether or not that was the Blues winning or the Avs choking last night. Absolutely, 100%, without question, unequivocally, the, the Avalanche spit the bit. They choked. That was really? a choke job. Just a choke job, huh? Abs, dude, they weren't, even, they weren't even playing the same game. That was that the first period of that game was sharks feasting on seals. Blood in the water. I mean, that was straight out of Jaws. And and then all of a sudden, you know what? You got fat. You had so much seal blubber in your tummy that you're like, oh, I got to take a little nappy time. <laughs> seal blubber. My God. I mean, spot on more than anything because that was a ultimate choke job. But, uh, I mean, great comp, I would say. But he nailed it. That was that was That was the equivalent of... I'm trying to remember the game. They did it against Arizona. I think it was in the in the beginning of the five game win streak where they were up like six to nothing in the second period, and then the Blues just stopped playing. And Arizona made it like six five. And you're like, oh blank. Or was that the last game against Arizona in the regular season? Also forced overtime because the Blues were up four nothing. That was the equivalent of what that was. But I will say. The Blues also dominated the second half of the second period in the third period. As much as Colorado was sitting on their heels, they couldn't figure out how to get the puck out of their zone. It felt to me like the Chiefs versus the Bengals AFC championship game. 
Like it, it reminded me happy, so yeah. much of that. Yeah, I was actually happier. Then. I yeah. I did not feel the same way because I you had, had one team that absolutely choked, but the other team had to take advantage of their opportunities. And the Bengals did that in the second half against Kansas City in Kansas City, and the Blues did that last night in Denver. Now, one of the biggest talking points that we're probably going to have going into tomorrow is Darcy Kemper. And has he been solved by the Blues? Because it seems to me like the Avalanche are in a very similar spot to where the Wild ultimately got with Marc-Andre Fleury. Here's 104.3 The Fan on Darcy Kemper and whether or not they still have confidence in him as the starter. We are right now with Darcy Kemper on May 26th, where we were on October 1st, November 1st, Mm. February 1st. We're in the same place. The question, can Darcy Kemper lead this team to a Stanley Cup? And the answer has always been, don't know. Won't know until we know. As of right now this morning, we still don't know, and we still have to be skeptical. Alex, I was pretty worried about the whole Ville Husso experience in the playoffs going into last night. feel a little better about it after last night's performance by him, and I also feel better about it after watching what we've seen so far from Markstrom in Calgary, from what's-his-face, the Mike bearded Smith. crazy man up Whoa. in Edmonton, and after watching what we saw last night from Darcy Kemper and really in the season or the series writ large uh, against the Blues. I don't think that the Blues have a significant goalie disadvantage against any of those three teams that are remaining in the Western Conference. In fact, in some of those games, they might have an actual advantage in net right now. So I, it's going to come down to what they do in front of Ville uh, Husso more so than anything that he does in net in my mind. High danger, unblocked shot attempt save percentage. Now, this is basically equivalent of odd man rushes, breakaway scoring chances. And for context, going into last night, I don't know what it is now, but going into last night for Ville Husso was 70%. For Jordan Bennington in the playoffs, it had been 90%. Ville Husso was 10th best in the National Hockey League in the regular season. He was middle of the pack in the playoffs. Darcy Kemper is the worst goaltender wow. in that statistic in the playoffs. And the, the there's there's one player who's better than him, who the Blues are very familiar with, and that's Mark Andre Fleury. Mark Andre Fleury had a forty or four forty four uh, save percentage. Darcy Kemper has a three sixty four save percentage. That's that's Yikes. beatable. You don't just have an advantage in the goaltending circumstance. You have the better goaltender in Vili Husso, and. They showcased it last night against Darcy Kemper. Alongside Alex and Tanner, I'm Brandon. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Joey Vitale is going to join the show coming up at 1230. But next, we'll give you the best of what Craig Berube had to say uh, to the media a little bit ago. Alex's hope is uh, is all but dead for one specific all thing. We'll tell you what that is coming up next here on 101 ESPN. Gotta be kidding back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Doesn't get a whole lot better than that. Tanner Hendrickson, our guy T-Bone on the return, Chris Kerber and Joey Vitale on the call. You heard it all right here on your home for the St. Louis Blues 101 ESPN last night as the Blues are able to avoid elimination, win in overtime at a comeback victory down 3-0 at one point, win it 5-4 in overtime. Joey Vitale joins us coming up here in about 10 minutes or so. 
One of the greatest comebacks that you will see for the Blues. And Alex, earlier today, Craig Berube met with the media after an optional skate. It sounds like it was just Tori Krug and Charlie Lindgren that were out on the ice for the Blues this Great morning. Great sign. Um, and according to Jeremy Rutherford, who was in the uh, with the assembled media, Craig Berube says Tori Krug likely not an option for game number six or seven. So it sounds like we can put that speculation to bed. Uh, Unlikely that we see Tori Krug in this series. There's a chance you said doesn't think Krug is an option. Yeah, he's not playing. Okay. <laughs> so we can put that to bed. Marco Scandella is back. That was nice. Alex, we mentioned this before we came on the air. I thought Scandella had a pretty solid game. I know earlier today somebody on the text line said, hey, I didn't really notice Marco Scandella last night. That's a good thing. Is that thing. a good thing? It's a great <laughs> thing. The answer is yes. Because usually when you notice Marco Scandella, the puck's going off of his skate into the net. It's it's the Jay Bomeister effect where it's like, oh, my God, he's always in the worst place at the worst time. No, I and you know what? I think the return of Marco Scandella actually benefited Justin Falk. Because I, I think Justin Falk actually had a tough series up to this point against Colorado. And a lot of this is because he hasn't had a consistent line mate. It's been Callie Rosen. It's been Scott Perunovich. It's been Nico Mikula. He hasn't had the same guy. Do you think now, he's trying to overcompensate for some of those guys, maybe? I think or it, was I don't know to previously? if it's overcompensating. It, it might also just be not knowing how they play. Because a lot of the times the defenseman is just a matter of comfort who you're playing with and knowing what moves they're going to make and not getting that miscommunication on if I go after a guy, you're going to cover the net. We've seen that a couple of times where two guys go after a loose puck and then they leave the net wide open. And I think Marco Scandella didn't play a lot with uh, Justin Falk in the regular season, but in terms of who they played the most ice with, it was second most for Justin Falk. First was... Um, of course, Falk and Tory Krug. So I think Marco Scandella gives a little bit more comfort for Justin Falk to play the way that he needs to play, where he's not worried about making sure he's playing that 200-foot game. He can chip in on offense and know that somebody's back there defensively. But Curb said it best on the broadcast. Uh, Marco Scandella, when he returned against Minnesota, was not able to make those lateral movements on his skate because of the injury he was suffering from. Last night, he was making them very, very well and very easily, which is a great sign that he seems to be healthy. Yeah, it's good to see him back out there, and it changed the way they were able to play. I do think that the 12-6, and especially in that altitude, made a difference. You could tell the Blues had their legs in the third period, whereas the last time that they were in Colorado, they very much did not. Uh, The later that the game went on, it felt like the more the, the Blues started to wilt. So it was good to see that last night. Hopefully that carries over into game number six. You'll see that. Uh, in St. Louis on Friday. You'll hear it right here on your home for the Blues 101 ESPN. Alex will have pregame coverage beginning at 6 o'clock. Puck drop at 7. We will be broadcasting live from Enterprise Center once again tomorrow afternoon. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll dive into the juncture. But next, Joey Vitale helps us break down and put in perspective what we witnessed last night. Joey Vitale, Blues analyst for 101 ESPN, next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It was Tyler Bozak that got an assist on the Pat Maroon goal two, three years ago. He scores! Tyler Bozak in overtime. You can bring out the Zamboni. The St. Louis Blues are coming home, and they're bringing the Avalanche with them. Bozak wins it for the Blues, 5-4. to four. 
3.38 into overtime. A great call last night and a great game last night in Colorado. And right now we are breaking it all down with the Blues analyst for 101 ESPN and the Blues Radio Network. He is Joey Vitale joining us via the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Joe, unbelievable night. Great job breaking it all down throughout the game in Colorado. How you doing today, man? Joey! Joey! What's up? What's up, guys? Yeah, hey, listen, BK, that that was an awesome game. That was probably... I think one of the coolest moments of, of the, being, me being in the broadcast booth over the last four seasons, you know, I, I would put that right up there along the, the Pat Maroon Game 7 and, of course, the Game 7 Stanley Cup Final there in 2019. You know, and I say that because it, the game, it, 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 it was like a movie. You know, it was like a scripted movie where it started out, it started out okay and then it got really slow and then it hit a climax and then it dropped. And just when you thought you had the answers, um, something got thrown in your face. You know, it, it just reminds you of the first time I ever saw the Titanic, you know, like Jack's winning the card game at the beginning. You're pumped up for Jack. And then Joey, he gets that on didn't the well. <laughs> well, you know what? Yeah, Rose made it out alive. Yeah, you know, hey, yeah, Rose is fine. Good point. Yeah, good point. Uh, Rose, hey, you know what? The women, women and children were fine. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, there was room on that, by the way. You know what I mean? No, it, you know, it had the ups and the downs, and then they're dancing one, one, one night in the, in the bottom shelf there and having some tequila, and then all of a sudden you hit an iceberg, and then you get on the boat, and you're pumped up, and then, of course, then the boat sinks, and then, and then you get on a lifeboat, and then that lifeboat gets full. And then you know, she's like, ooh, boy, up, down, and then Jack's alive, and then Rose is dead, and then Rose is back alive, and, and then you find out at the end of the day that she had the diamond the whole time. Like, God, what, what a... What what a Dickens! What a Dickens having that diamond the whole time and not saying anything. But uh, no, so I don't know where I'll go with that. My point was that it was just a a roller coaster of, of sheer emotion. I mean, uh, you knew Nathan McKinnon, you know, was was like that stream of water that was going to bust through at some point. And even though that beaver worked hard to build that dam, it was going to try to slow it, slow it. But it was going to explode at some point, and we knew it was going to come. And certainly, it came last night. And you're thinking, well. You tried to keep them at bay a little bit, but eventually uh, one of the best players in the world come through. They go up by three, but then Colorado, they just they played so passive for me in that third period, almost like not even that they were protecting the lead. It was almost like they were just – they didn't know how to play with the lead. Like they weren't primed and ready for that moment, and St. Louis just started to build. And, and we were saying on the broadcast about you know 18 minutes going to 30, you, just, you felt the ice starting to tilt a little bit. You felt – Something was something was happening. You love the way the chair single got on the board, and all of a sudden here comes Thomas, and here comes Falk. The Blues made a great adjustment to third. They're pinching the defenseman, super aggressive, nothing to lose mentality. And to me, that really sparked that turnaround. And just when you tied it, thinking you're going to overtime, here comes Nathan McKinnon, like Mach one out of his own end. I mean, end to end, coast to coast, one of the prettiest goals you're ever going to see. And I think every Blues fan, including myself looked at that goal and thought, you know what? You really just got to tip your hat, and this is going to be the end of the Blues season, and it happened because of the superior play of one of the greatest players in the world. But then, of course, there's the low, and then here comes the high. Thomas ties it up. you going overtime, and Tyler Bozak, of all the heroes, to see number 21 get on the board there. He's had some big moment, big moment goals. He's primed and ready for the moment. It's just it had it all, man, and it was a, it was a hard night to sleep last night, and a lot of Blues fans felt the same way. Joe, honestly, and we'll get back to hockey, but if I had a DeLorean and could go back in time, I would love to go back to watch Titanic with you the first time <laughs> because I want, Man, I I want to see the emotions you went through watching that movie. Wow. Hey, listen, listen to his call when, last when, night. Uh, 
when Jack was Bob drawing Kate Winslet. No, my, that, that's when my heart rate was probably at an all-time high. Listen, I was hey. in sixth grade. Hey, I did not see anything like that. Hey, yeah, man. I never saw anything like that in my hey. life. People kept talking about the raw emotions of that movie when the boat was singing. I'm like, whoa, 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 let's back up. How about an hour and 22 minutes into the movie when Jack's got the lady laying down on the couch and he's sketching her out with a pencil? That's to me. That's got my heart rate up. Raw emotions about the movie. How about the raw emotion from Joe Vitale during that moment in the movie? <laughs> How about the, the sheer rawness? I'll never forget. I was at Ronnie's 20. I was in sixth grade. It was one of the first movies that I ever saw with like a group of friends. And, you know, that was sixth grade, right? So the girls and the boys are starting to kind of get interested in each other. So we went with a huge group. There's probably like 12 boys and maybe like eight or nine girls. The girls sat a row up and we were a row back. And all of a sudden that scene came on. And I remember all the girls like looking back and like judging the guys for watching. Like, hey, this is not my fault. Like, what, what are you judging me for? Like, blame James Cameron. He's a director. He's the one that decided to put this out there for the world to see. It's a PG-13 movie of all things. Like, at what what world are we living in where a PG-13 movie has uh, girls' little tatas flying around? Like, it's not my bad. Listen, I'm 13 or close to it anyway. Like, whatever. Was this before or I after you, the Joe. first kiss incident where your teeth and yeah, the, braces the braces got stuck? When you looked like Stone Cold Steve Austin. Oh, no, this was this was probably around the same time. I had a rough yeah, that checks grade. out. I mean, it was, it was a good sixth grade, but it was a rough one. That was when I thought it was cool to wear WWE and WWF yeah. T-shirts to the grade school mixers. Um, it, it was hit or miss, but for the most time, it was always a miss. Uh, look at you now, Joey V. You're, you're my hero. Speaking of hit or miss, Joey, uh, Robert Thomas has been a, a more miss than hit so far in the playoffs. But last night, man, my goodness, did he step up in a huge, huge way for the Blues. Can you put in perspective for us what that meant for Thomas and what it could mean for him, A, in the rest of this series, but B, just the confidence that had to build for him in future playoff series as well? Well, you know, I thought about Robert when it was a 3 nothing game, and we were talking about how he was he, – he had some chances in that game. He, he was close on a couple tips. He had that kind of semi-breakaway there off a power play rush from Buchnevich that the Darcy Kemper came out and made a glove save on. He was getting his looks. He just couldn't find the back of the net. And I remember when it was 3 nothing, thinking, like, gosh, like, what a it, – it's hard. It's, it sucks that you got to spoil one of the best regular seasons for this young man. Maybe one of the better ones he's going to see in his first five, six years in the league. I mean, it was just that good. And it's hard because is that going to be spoiled by the fact that he just really couldn't get going offensively in the postseason? I, I felt for him as a person because it would be a long summer if the season ended last night where he just could not find the offensive numbers to match what he did in the regular season. And then, of course, he gets that awesome bounce there in the third period. And then, then came the second one, and you saw the smile on his face. And, and this, this momentum thing for goal scores, it's a, it's a funny thing. Just like Tara Single scored the hat-trick in Minnesota, one after another. And for Thomas, I think that that's really what he started to feel. He started to get that feeling again. There's – there's nothing like that feeling. I think the two greatest feelings as a hockey player, I've always said, number one is scoring a goal because you feel like untouchable, like you have as much energy as possible. You can do anything you want out there. And then the other one is right after you finish a fight, you go to the box, you hear the roar of the crowd. I mean, those are the biggest adrenaline rushes as a hockey player. And, and really, you, you cannot mimic that unless you put yourself in a fight or you do score a big-time goal. And for Robert Thomas, uh, I was so happy for him. I was so proud of him because – we just seen this kid grow and groom since he was a young man winning the cup when he was 19. And we've seen the ups, we've seen the injuries, we've seen the downs. What a great regular season he had he was struggling in the postseason, couldn't find the back of the net. And then here he comes. And, and I think personally, 
not only with the Thomas coming alive last night, but Tarasenko also coming alive in this series. This is where it becomes a little bit of a different series now for me. This is where you look back in that Minnesota series, guys. The, the turning point in that series was the Tarasenko hat trick in Minnesota. And I say that because you just felt it. You felt that Minnesota was dealing with Perron and O'Reilly, but they could, they could handle that storm. It was two guys. It was one line. We'll figure this out. But then when Tarasenko got going in Minnesota, there was like this, oh, boy, here comes this next group of guys. And that's where the depth took over in that series, and the Blues never looked back. I kind of look at this game last night where the Colorado Avalanche now are looking at it where it's, it's not just O'Reilly and Perron. Now here comes Sarasenko. Now here comes Robert Thomas. Jordan Kyrou's had his moments in the postseason. So now you're dealing with a whole group of guys instead of just one line to try to shut down. So this is where the, the series really could turn in the Blues' favor if they can keep this momentum building. Joe, that's what I was going to ask you because I specifically remember the story you always tell, and you told me that the day after Game One against the San Jose Sharks, that you know a, a, a butt spanking by the the Sharks, and Steve Hot walked past you and said, "We're going to be fine." Did you feel that confidence in this group after last night on the way home? I did. Yeah, you know, I, I really did. Um, on the plane, it was it was exciting. You know, Tyler Bozak, of course. I was joking with him. He he comes on the flight. Everyone's so pumped up. And I was giving him the fist pump, and I said, "Dude, you, you totally, you totally just piss off my wife." And he's like, "What happened?" He's <laughs> like, "We were looking at flights to Mexico tomorrow during the second period. We were pumped up. We were going to hit the beaches and bring the sunblock and the and the Malibu rum." And and he started laughing. He's like, "Oh, you got to tell her to wait a little bit longer, you know." So just like jokes flying like that, you know. I've never seen Craig Berube smile the way he smiled in the plane last night. I mean, this is this is not only a team. That, that got back in the series, that now they're just two games away from moving on to the conference final. This, this was a, just a proud moment, I think, for a lot of those guys. That, that to me, is where Craig Berube, if you look at the postgame, his speech, I mean, there's so much just raw, great, genuine emotion in his talk, and you see it from the players. But I think that that genuine spirit is, is truly coming from the fact that these coaches are just really, really proud of what that team did last night. And all the Blue fans should be extremely proud of the effort that they saw. They did not go quietly into the night. Their backs were up against the wall. And what do they do? They just kept chipping. They just kept chipping away, chipping away. Adjustments from the coaching staff, whether it be the D being aggressive, going down and pinching on the wall, and really suffocating Colorado in their own zone. Or was it Torpchenko being propelled to the third line and getting top-line minutes, playing in the final minute of a 4-4 game? I mean, that's some risky, risky stuff that Craig Ruby really leaned on last night, and the team just responded very well. And the fact that they walked away there with that win, returning the game back to St. Louis, talked to a lot of people this morning, going to the game tomorrow night. It's going to be a great, great game, I think. Awesome atmosphere. And now they just need Billy, I truly believe, Billy to steal one game. I mean, whether it be tomorrow or if they can get through tomorrow, game seven, have your goalie just take one. Hopefully you're hoping for a good bounce, maybe a bounce or two on the power play, and maybe this Nathan McKinnon line silences up a little bit. And you just never know. I mean, this is a Colorado team, as you guys have probably talked about today, that have not moved on to the conference final last three years. They are stuck in this second round. They can't get out of it. And you almost wonder, it's not just a loss last night. That, that, was, a, that was an impactful loss. Is that one that just haunts you forever? Does it, does it bring you back to the years of the Red Sox or the, the Cubs when um, you know, the outfielder was, was going in there? You guys would know you're the baseball guy. goes to make the catch and the fan jumps. I mean, it's kind of one of those games, right, where you're like, you're up by three. You're up in the series three to one. You're on home ice. 
let's get out of here. Let's walk away to the conference final. Also, the team comes back. So these are the ones that can really impact you. So we will see what the game will look like tomorrow. Hopefully the Blues will continue to roll. And we're looking at a game seven in Denver on Sunday. Joey, we'll get you out of here on this. You mentioned um, what, what the Blues were able to get last night out of Ville Husso. I think I could also look at the other side of things and what Colorado did not get out of Darcy Kemper. Do you feel like these goalies are kind of at an even matchup right now? Because I don't feel like the Blues are any longer at a goalie disadvantage. No, I since, since the beginning, BK, I've never liked Colorado's goaltending. I, I thought St. Louis has had a great job on getting Darcy Kemper's number ever, ever since his years in Arizona. He's had his little spurts, but... I think there's been a great scouting report on him, and the Blues have exposed him. I mean, they've really gone after his glove side. Not so much last night, but in the previous games, they're really doing a good job going after his glove side. And and this is this is a goalie that can be had. I think with Jordan Bennington, I think it's easily favors St. Louis. You know, with, with Billy Huso now, I think it's an even one. I, I think it's I think it's close. I think you're going to be looking at situations over tomorrow night's game, and hopefully the next two games. If we go back to Denver on Sunday where you're going to see good saves, but you're going to see maybe a couple um, lackadaisical goals get behind them. I mean, that, that's just the way it is. Like, that Tyler Bozak shot, you know, that, that's a puck that's got to be saved. And if that one goes past Billy Huso, you're, you're frustrated, and that was maybe one you want to have back that could have extended your season. You know, even, even going back before those, like, you know, some rebound uh, control issues there in the third period. Um, I will say the one area about this goaltending situation I'm seeing a lot of momentum shifts in this series. It's not a back-and-forth series. It's not we get two chances, Colorado comes down to the chance. We do one, they come back with two. So the reason for that is it's not a constant flow and rhythm for each goaltender. There's moments where Darcy Kemper didn't see a shot or any kind of attack for 7, 8, 9, 12, 12 minutes of hockey time. It's a long time. And Billy Hussle, the same thing. You know, when the Blues were humping in there in the third period, uh, Billy did not see a lot of hard action. You know, that's what made me a little bit nervous in overtime where he hadn't seen a lot of pucks. So this is a, a wave attack from each team. So there's going to be moments where goaltenders are going to get a little bit stale, a little bit cold, and they're going to get a little bit isolated. So which team can take advantage uh, moving forward? To me, it's going to be there. But there's going to be some good saves moving forward. And there's going to be some saves that these goalies are going to want to have back. So, to me, the mindset, whatever team can get more pucks at the net and more traffic, like we saw last night, that, that's a team, to me, that's going to prevail. Man, it's going to be an awesome game. I'm looking forward to it. Joey will be on the call with Chris Kerber tomorrow night out at Enterprise Center. 7 o'clock puck drop. Alex has your pregame coverage tomorrow starting at 6. Joey, we appreciate the time, as always, man. Enjoy yourself today. Enjoy the game tomorrow night. We'll talk with you again soon. Sounds good, boys. You guys have a great weekend. Thanks, Absolutely. Joe. Same to you. That's Joey Vitale joining us here on 101 ESPN. By the way, apparently he nailed the time of the movie in Titanic when Kate Winslet really? was naked getting drawn. Apparently somebody texted and said he nailed it. I think he said it like the hour and 22-minute mark. He nailed it on yeah, that. You think he didn't know that offhand? I mean, who doesn't? The man is like Mr. Skin. Tanner has that ready to go on the oh, TV. Yeah, well, Tanner's got him saved on his phone in the notes category. Coming up in 15 minutes, we're talking to Jeff Pass at ESPN's MLB Insider. He's talking Blues win? Uh, I don't think he's got I'm a sure lot he watched it. Yeah. I'm going to ask him. Okay. I'm going to ask him. Uh, I do want to talk to him about Paul Goldschmidt's chances to get into the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame. We'll do that coming up at 1 o'clock. I also want to ask him how he would compare the Cardinals to the Brewers. It is quite literally our only Cardinal segment of the day. Woo-hoo! Coming up next, though, we're diving into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 
ESPN. Let's open it up. The Junk Drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Together Credit Union. Pay yourself with every purchase. Open and achieve it. Checking account today. Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Let's dive into the junk drawer. Alex, last night I had one of those moments. One of those moments that I just don't live down in my household. Do you ever have the issue where you're like, I don't understand where I put my keys? Where are my keys? And you look down in there in your pocket. And you've been looking around your house for 30 minutes. You can't figure out where you put your keys. And all the time, they were in your pocket. Uh, I've never had it with the keys because we always have just a design spot to put them. But I've had that moment with sunglasses. Oh, same. Where it's on my head. And I'm like, where the hell did I put them? (laughs) My wife's like, look on your head. I'm like, son of a. Last night, I had that moment with my computer. I was convinced. That's why you you bug me in the middle of me doing my post game. I left my computer at the station it was the only possible explanation i have my computer at all times in my backpack i put it in the same spot every night i've got it right there i didn't know where it was it wasn't in my backpack i don't know where i put it i'm looking around my house for no long no less than 10 maybe 15 minutes like i i i don't know where it is it must be gone it's gone alex i called you to try to check to see if it was in one of the studios yeah, I don't appreciate you calling me a liar because I told you it wasn't in there. And you said, are you sure? Like four times. I FaceTimed him and I said, you show me the room. <laughs> I want to make sure no, I'm, that I'm you actually check this. I called my wife back. I was like, Kara, I, I don't know where this is. My, I think my computer's just gone. There's no way that I can find it anywhere. Did you check your office? Uh-uh. Alex, it was in my damn office, exactly where I put it, sitting... Right on my desk. Was it next to the light that always turns on? It was. Tinfoil theory. <laughs> it was the, the ghost. ghost moved that damn laptop. You got a haunting, my man. I don't know what has happened to me. I think I'm just, I'm getting old. I'm officially washed. Welcome to my world. I spend my weekends working on my my fence. I sit, stay into that last weekend. I check my yard you seemingly put, every morning. You put oat milk in your coffee. I'm officially washed. And this is just the latest reminder to me that I have very Amen. little time left on this earth. I tell you what, wait till you guys have a kid because you'll be going to bed at 9 o'clock uh, every night. I don't know what o'clock? has happened to uh. me. Dude, I went tonight. I've already planned on going to bed by 845. You got your schedule made already? <laughs> Good for you. I already told my wife. So wait, whatever Carl's time you get home, dinner's going to be ready. We're going to bed. Don't forget still playing at that time, man. Yeah, it doesn't matter. But don't forget to warm up your milk before bed, too. Well, Coming up in about 15 minutes or so. Gross. Play a game of Believe It or Not. If you have something for us for Believe It or Not, send it into the text line. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. But next, we're going to be joined by our friend, one of the best baseball insiders in the country, in my mind, he is Jeff Passan. He's going to join us on the other side here on 101 ESPN. You're an idiot. You're an absolute 100% total idiot. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It is always a pleasure to be joined by our friend, ESPN's Major League Baseball insider. He is Jeff Passan, joining us via the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Jeff, it's great to catch up again, my man. How you doing today? Gentlemen, how are you? Uh, doing fantastic. We're coming off of the high of the Blues win last night, so it, it's, a, it's a good day here in St. Louis. I want to talk to you about the Cardinals, though. 
there's been a trend with this team, Jeff, that's been interesting to me. It's all of these young guys that have come up and immediately contributed at the big league level. Uh, Meanwhile, the backdrop to this, as you've seen around the league, there's a lot of these top prospects that seem to be coming up that are struggling early on. Uh, What do you attribute that to? The fact that the Cardinals seem to have these guys that are coming up that are immediately contributing. Well... I, you know, I, I'm not sure, to be honest, it's anything at this point more than randomness, but let's look at the guys who are coming up. Uh, Juan Yepes is 24 years old and has spent a lot of time in the minor leagues. Nolan Gorman is only 22, but uh, he's had a good, I think, almost four years now uh, in the minor leagues as well. Uh, Brendan Donovan, 25 years old. This is not a situation like with Julio Rodriguez coming up, uh, you know, having spent as little time as he has in the minor leagues, Bobby Witt having had as few at-bats as he did. These, these were all guys who were in the Cardinal system pre-COVID and who had that full year of experience beforehand, at least in Yepes and uh, Donovan's case even more, uh, that, that I think goes a long way and, and makes that comfort level there more apparent. But uh, to tell you the truth, it's just such a small sample at this point. I, I can't I can't sit here and say that the Cardinals are doing a better job necessarily of of getting guys major league ready uh, earlier than some other organizations. I, I do think though that waiting a while to call guys up, uh, you know, historically the Cardinals are not a team that rushes their best prospects. I, I think the the closest we saw to a really young guy coming up uh at least recently was oscar Tavares, and that was you know god seven eight years ago now like it's been a long time since his debut the the cardinals just they don't they don't do that it's not their style it's not their philosophy and i get it Uh, listen they've done a magnificent job over the years of drafting and signing international guys and developing them and turning them into productive major leaguers with that being said, Jeff, since we're talking about these younger players and we're talking about them because they're having a massive impact on this Cardinals uh, run, even though it is such a short sample size, but because they're relying heavily on these younger players, do you think this is something that can last throughout the season? Can they win with these young players being such a big impact to their roster? I think you look at what the alternative is, and the, the only conclusion you can draw is that they have to, right? These guys aren't in the lineup if other players are producing at the level that they were expected to or hoped for. And because of that, it's put the Cardinals in a, I'm not going to say a perilous position, but certainly a more tenuous one than they would be. in if they had guys upon whom they could rely because they knew that they have produced in the past and they could suspect that they're going to continue producing in the future, Uh, you're taking a risk by going with younger players, but uh, it's not a risk that's done uh, out of chance or out of a desire to to get younger guys in the lineup. It's out of necessity, and and that necessity uh, comes from the fact that they're in a division with a very good Milwaukee Brewers team, and uh, in in a league, especially with the Western Division, that has a bunch of good teams that are threats to steal wild card spots if the Cardinals don't win the Central. 
So that's what I wanted to get to with you, Jeff, next, because we get so focused in on the Cardinals locally that sometimes uh, we lose the scope. I never, I never would have thought that. <laughs> yeah, no, no not here. Um, we, we lose the scope of what the rest of this league looks like sometimes, and the Cardinals are about to begin a big series against the Milwaukee Brewers. Uh, from your perspective, you've got more of the national lens. How do you view this Cardinals team compared to those other top teams in the National League right now? Uh, I think they are the second best team in the National League Central. And I think that Freddie Peralta's injury is going to be out for a while with a shoulder strain. Has a chance to be one of those things that evens out the the balance of power in the Central. You you know, the the big question with the Brewers has always been, are they going to hit enough? And they've gotten contributions this year from relatively unexpected places. I mean, I, I, I suppose we know by now Hunter Renfro is going to be like the classic, you know, 250, 300, 500 guy. His on base is going to stink because he really doesn't take walks, but he hits home runs, he slugs, he strikes out a lot. Uh, and, and Rowdy Tellez is cut from that same cloth. And I don't think the expectations when they traded for him and, and got him from Toronto last year were that – he was going to turn into a, a mashing monster at first base, but he's been their best hitter so far this season. Willie Thomas has been really, really good since he's got traded there. Christian Yelich uh, looks closer to what he was. It, listen, he's not his MVP caliber self, but he's looking closer to what he was than he has the past couple of seasons. And, uh, you know, if you have four guys in that lineup who are hitting, when you have the kind of pitching they do, it's, probably going to be enough um uh, you know corbin burns you can make an argument is the best pitcher in baseball um won the nl cy young last year and has come back and looked every bit as good this year if a bit more homer prone uh eric lauer's taken a big step forward even with some struggles from brandon woodruff at, at this point the the pitching that milwaukee has the the machine that they have created and it's not just Josh Hader and Devin Williams at the back end. It's a guy like Aaron Ashby who's in sort of that swing role right now where he's got power stuff from the left side. Um, it's someone like Brent Suter or, or Brad Boxberger, finding someone like Trevor Gott who's been excellent, knowing that down at AAA you've got Ethan Small. Uh, the, their depth is really strong, and they can catch the ball too. And, and because of all of these things, uh, I think they're going to be difficult to supplant at the top of the division. Uh, the, the, listen, the, the Cardinals have had enough go right this year where I think that uh, in the end they're going to be a threat all season long. To me, it's going to just come down to the starting pitching, right? Uh, you know, Adam Wainwright is Mr. Consistent, and I, I, I have every expectation in the world that he's going to pitch until he's 65 and still be effective then. <laughs> Us too. <laughs> uh yeah, I, I mean, Miles Michaelis has been a very pleasant surprise this year. Dakota Hudson, um, you know, uh, you wish you saw more strikeouts, but you get a lot of ground balls from him. And when you've got uh, gloves backing him like the Cardinals do, uh, you, you have a chance to get out of a game pretty well unscathed with him in there. Uh, the, the question for me at this point is, is Jordan Hicks really the fifth starter? Like, is, is that the guy who you're going to ride with when he's not even throwing four innings at a time. And that's a, that's a tough onus to put on the bullpen every fifth day where, you know, you're going to need to get 
five, maybe more innings because uh, your starter's just not stretched out or hasn't shown the ability to go deep into games. Jeff, with that being said, I know we're at the end of May, but you know how baseball fans are, man, the way-too-early trade deadline predictions. Do you feel like that's going to be an area, if this continues and keeps up for the Cardinals, that they're going to be looking at to add more pitching? Or do you feel like it could be a shortstop or a bat? I mean, I think a lot of the shortstop conversation depends on how Tommy Edmund acquits himself there. It, it always seemed like it was trending in that direction, uh, whether it was Gorman coming up and taking over second base or Donovan performing as well as he has. If Edmund can be a reliable everyday shortstop, um, then all of a sudden the, the need for Xander Bogarts, I think, melts away a little, though. Frankly, any time you can get Xander Bogarts in your lineup, you got to at least think about doing so. Uh, to me, yeah, it's it's more pitching. No, it's interesting. A lot of the pitchers uh, who are going to be on the market are in the Central Division. I mean, we look at Luis Castillo and Tyler Maley and potentially Mike Miner and the Cubs, uh, whether it's Wade Miley, Drew Smiley, maybe even Kyle Hendricks or, or potentially Marcus Stroman. Like, there, there are guys who could be on the move. Uh, are the Cubs going to want to – trade to the Cardinals, though? Are the Reds going to want to keep guys in the division? Those trades happen. They're just more difficult to pull off. And so I I think when you have a guy like Frankie Montas with with the Oakland A's, everyone is going to want him, and the price is going to be extraordinarily high on him. So it just doesn't dovetail with the Cardinals' way of operating and how John Mosellock has built this team. It's you know, they are, and, and we saw this last year, and, and frankly, before the winning streak, before that incredible run that they had, they, there really wasn't a lot of reason to go out and trade for, for guys. So they go out and get John Lester and I think Jay Happ it was. But uh, if they're going to make those, those small incremental moves this year, I'm, I'm just not sure it's going to be enough. At the same time, and, and you guys watch them every day, maybe you can answer this question better than I can, is this a team that's good enough to go out and want to add when you've got a superior team in Milwaukee in your division, when you've got superior teams like Los Angeles and San Diego and New York in your league? I I think if we're being honest with ourselves, the Cardinals are at best the top five team in the National League. I think best their fifth. I mean, maybe, listen, maybe they, they go on a run here that changes our perspective, but through a quarter of the season... I think, frankly, that's that's the only conclusion you can draw, and it, that that's a that's a tough place to find yourself if you're running baseball operations and trying to decide whether you're going to go out and add and just how much you're going to add at the deadline. Yeah, I think it entirely depends, Jeff, on what they get out of Tyler O'Neill and Jack Flaherty whenever he returns from injury. Like, if Jack is back to being the guy that we saw in 2019 in the second half of the season, sure that that helps your pitching staff immensely. I don't, if Tyler I don't think, O'Neill, I, I think, I think we, but I, I think we need to rid ourselves of that. Jack Flaherty is going to be back to the guy in the second. Jack Flaherty in the second half of 2019 was. I've been writing about baseball for totally 20 fair. years. One, one, of the, one of the best pitch, one of the best stretches I've ever seen from a starting pitcher. If Jack Flaherty can get back to being what he was in the first eight or nine starts of last year before he got hurt, you know, sub three ERA, but keeping the team in ball games and, and getting dubs, 
yeah, I mean, if that Jack Flaherty is around, it solves a lot of problems for this team. Totally fair. It's a good point, and that, that's what they need. Like, they're missing right now kind of that third guy to go along with Wayno and Michaelis, and the other guy that they just need more from is Tyler O'Neill. They thought that maybe he could be the guy that he was last year, and so far this year he's been a shell of himself at the plate. And if those two things happen, it totally changes my outlook for the team. But, I mean, my level of confidence isn't particularly high right now on either of those things taking place. Yeah, I, I understand. We, you know, especially in O'Neill's case, when what you've seen, you've actually seen performance and it's been as substandard as it has. Um, and, and when you know all of the tools are there, that you know, aside from last season, that's been the knock on Tyler O'Neill's entire career. It's the reason that Seattle traded him in the first place. Um, he has all of the tools to be great, um, but sometimes the performance just is not there, and it hasn't been so far this year. Jeff, I did want to ask you about one other thing. Um, I, I think Nolan Arenado is on the Hall of Fame track, and pretty much everybody seems to agree with that. I wanted to ask you about Paul Goldschmidt because his numbers are starting to track in that direction. And when you look at uh, whether it be the wins above replacement numbers or some of the counting numbers that are starting to get there for him, the gold gloves are adding up. Do you think Paul Goldschmidt's going to end his career as a Hall of Famer? My initial instinct is probably no, but that's more because the standard and the threshold for first baseman is so incredibly high. And let me let me just make an aside right here. Sure. Um, yes, Yadier Molina is going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. And uh, yes, if I still voted at this point, I think I would vote for Yadier Molina, where for a long time I had not. Um, you know, there there's just there's too much there now to deny it. He's awesome. He's great. Uh, I enjoy watching him Did his pitching change your mind, Jeff? <laughs> it was the pitching appearance, huh? I mean that. Listen, the Hall of Fame needs two-way players. Right? <laughs> right. Him and Pools are getting two of them this year. Yeah, just just to, just to be more representative, more inclusive, we need two-way players in there. And thank God the Cardinals now have a couple of them. Um, you know, I'm looking. I'm on. I'm on Goldie's Baseball Reference page right now, and I'm looking at his comps by age. Now, uh, similar batters, by far. His closest analog is Freddie Freeman. I think Freddie Freeman's probably going to be a Hall of Famer. But after that, Mo Vaughn, Ryan Klesko, Prince Fielder, Hal Trotsky, Justin Morneau, like really good players, not Hall of Famers. Similar batter through age 33, Derek Lee, Jason Giambi, Fred McGriff. I almost feel like Paul Goldschmidt is the right-handed version of Fred McGriff at this point. Hmm. A guy who hits for high average, who walks, whose power is really good, but never like top of the league. I mean, he, I think he led uh, the league in home runs once back when he was 25 years old, but it's just a consistent 30 plus Homer, hundred RBI, 300 close to 400, 500 guy. Uh, The, the big thing that I think is going to get in the way of any candidacy for Paul Goldschmidt is if he does not win an MVP award. He's finished second twice, but the last time that happened was seven years ago. Um, uh, you know, a lot of this is going to depend upon what the back half of his career looks like. And considering what he's doing this year at age 34, if he can keep that up at 35, 36, 37, it's a whole lot easier to make the case. But right now, 
still doesn't have 300 home runs, let alone 400. Still doesn't have that that one standout great year that you can hang everything on. He's just been consistently excellent. Is consistent excellence enough to overcome not having that clear, obvious greatness? And and you can make the argument, guys, that consistent excellence should be the definition of greatness. Someone upon whom you can rely, and you know every year he's going to go out there and put up a great performance. Well, I I still think he has a few years left to do that in order to get in that Hall of Fame conversation. Jeff, it's always great catching up with you, man. This has been awesome. I know you're an incredibly busy man, so thank you for spending a little bit of time with us this afternoon, and hopefully we'll talk with, with you again soon. Pleasure is always mine, boys. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. That's Jeff Passan joining us here on 101 ESPN. For my money, uh, one of the best insiders in the business for any sport is Jeff Passan of ESPN. And I think that is the first time that he has admitted on sports radio uh, that he believes Yadier Molina will and should be a future Hall of Famer. Well, let's look at the uh, let's look at the X factors here. Yadier Molina wasn't a Hall of Famer the last time we talked to him. Yadier Molina pitches in a game. Yadier Molina is a Hall of Famer. Sounds like he solidified it from that one outing. It, it, it was <laughs> Shohei Otani type, so yeah. Just throwing that 36 out there. 36 ERA is going to get him into the Hall of Fame. Am I crazy here, though? Does anybody else get John Mozeliak vibes when you talk with Jeff Passan? I can see it. Like yeah, I get, I get fair. John Mosley. Like when we were talking the trade deadline, it, it felt like I was talking to Mo. <laughs> and honestly, props to Jeff Passan for that. Yeah, I, I also think that like they have similar personalities, and I enjoy talking to both of them. So it Amen. makes a lot of sense. You um, even took a vacation day to not talk to him. I was so mad at you guys. I can't even begin to tell you how it's mad kind of I was Ferrario's about that. Tradition when BK's gone, we get a really big. It's find a way so to get infuriating. I was really. Can we take an aside here? I, you guys talked to Jordan Walker when I was out. Yep. You talked to John Mosaylock when I was yep. out. You talked to Doug Armstrong when yep. I was out. You had John Morosi on the show yep. when I was out. Do you guys just wait to book our best yeah. guests when yeah. I'm out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. We usually had the conversation, but there was a part of me that was really hoping we were going to get. And I tried. I tried my damn is to get Wayne Gretzky from TNT. I was really hoping that he was going to come through on that Friday and to think that BK would take a vacation and T-Bone and I would talk to John Mozeliak and Wayne Gretzky, that would have been the best moment of our lives. You don't even know. Oh, man. What would have been waiting oh. for you on the other side of that interview? What are you going to do? What are you, a big, strong guy? You going to put me in the hospital? Tanner will. Coming up in 15 <laughs> minutes, Alexi Torbchenko might be becoming the Blues 2022 version don't say Oscar it. Oscar Sunquist. Oh, but coming geez. up next, let's play a game of Believe It or Not here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Look at what's happened to me. I can't believe it myself. Suddenly I'm upon top. I think I'm going to sing today, boys. I'm, be- I'm believing in a blues series win. Sing it with me, boys. Just you, just you. Believe it or not, I'm walking okay, and, uh, on air. It, it didn't work because you're not here and you're a little bit behind. Was no, I? I think he's right on. I was nah, it. Yeah, you thought he was right on. You're there Sounds with right him. Sounds right to me, Alex. I thought you were a great man. I, I mean, I squeaked a little there, but that's because I was yelling a lot of obscenities to the television last night. I get that completely. I said Six. F more than a Sopranos season last night. You said what more? Tanner, than did you get rid of our bed? I, uh, yeah, what the hell, the wrong, man? I may have hit the oh, wrong button. Oh, Wait for Alex, it. you're late. Oh. Sorry. Three, uh, there's a lot two, happening. One. T-Bone, hit the 
Ben. Close. Is that your new thing? Is that a BK <laughs> buildup moment? No, I that said, I said, the, moment. I said the BK F word whoa. more last night during that Blues game than a Sopranos season. 65780 is the air oh comfort God. service text line for Believe It F-U. or Not. <laughs> Guys, believe it or not, the Cardinals will finish ahead of the Brewers in the NL Central. Believe it. We were just talking about this. Jeff Passan, notable, notable hater of the Cardinals. I love Jeff Passan. I want that to be known. Uh, I do, too. He's a wonderful guest, and I love interviewing him. Very knowledgeable. But he also does not like the Cardinals. I, I just – I don't think – the Brewers are that much better than the Cardinals. I think it's going to be a very close race. Because if you're going to... Look, that is a great bullpen that Milwaukee's got. 100%. But I'd put the Cardinals' bullpen right up there with them. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't. When but, you talk about those three that they're sporting, and then you talk about Helsley, Gallegos, and Cabrera... Their guys are better. Um, but Cool. Okay. Welcome to the Hate Cardinals Club, I, BK and I, Jeff Passon. I, when if you two start a show. If you're going to make an argument for the Cardinals, it's the offense. Like, I'm going to make an argument about the pitching. And you know what? Dakota Hudson's better than Freddie Peralta. Look, I like I'll what you're doing it. here, but you're wrong. Okay. The Brewers have two <laughs> regulars in their lineup right now with an OPS over 800. It's Rowdy Telez and Hunter Renfro. Rowdy. Those are the only two. Rowdy, Rowdy Piper. The Cardinals have five. Excuse me. Six now. Goldie, Donovan, Arenado, Yepes. I'm going to say five because Gorman has only been up yeah, here I was for five say, games. But, but you're relying and, on and Tommy yet. But you're relying on two of those as are they actually this or flash in the pan? I would players? say the exact same is true with the Brewers from Rowdy Telez and Hunter Renfro. Rowdy Telez is a man. I don't believe in either of those guys as being this. And by the way, the guys that they got all of those contributions from last year, Willie Adamas. 765 OPS right now. He's batting 210 on the season. He's just having a rough start to the year. Colton Wong had a pretty good season at the plate last year. Of course, this season, it's the uh, every other year thing for him. He's batting 225 with an on-base percentage of 305. Their offense just isn't what it needs to be. If this is what they're going to be all season, and they've had a much easier schedule thus far than the Cardinals, I don't think that they're better than the Cardinals right now. Tanner? See, believe it or not, the Cardinals finished first in the NL Central. I'm not going to believe it. I still view Milwaukee as the better team right now. No, I, I just think you join their damn Cardinals. I think they're pitching. I agree with what Jeff Pass said. Look, they just need four guys to contribute offensively, and right now they're getting that. And look, I agree with what BK saying. Roddy Tellez, you're not going to believe in him. But Renf- if Renfro produces what he's done in his career, you get somewhat back of uh, Damas playing well, and Yelich has been fine for them so far this year. Their pitching is good enough to win more games, I think, than what the Cardinals have done. So I, I, I think I'm not going to believe this. I think Milwaukee is still the team to beat in the National League Central. He hates them. Do you have a life-size Jeff Passan pillow at home that you snuggle at a night with? Two. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for Believe It or Not. Believe it or not, the Jordan Hicks experiment will come to an end by the time that Steven Matz is back from the injured list. Say that again? The Jordan Hicks experiment in the rotation will come to an end by the time that Steven Matz is back from the I.L. I, I believe I mean, this. I don't think that Jordan Hicks will make another start after Steven Matz is back because say, that will be about a week and a half from I now. I feel like the experiment is done now. I just don't know how you combat that because you don't have anybody else without calling somebody else up. Correct? Because Libertor is the only one up here. He's filling the Steven Matz spot. There's nobody else in that bullpen that you could go they to. They could go to Drew Verhagen for a start. But if they're going to do that, you're just going to go Hicks because yeah. you're only getting probably three or four innings out of Verhagen if he starts. So, um yeah, I'll believe this. I think it's done. I think it's done now, but I think it will be done once Steven Matz comes back. 
I just don't know if Libertor will be the guy that takes Hicks's spot. I wonder if they send Libertor back down and bring up somebody to be that fifth starter in the rotation. Yeah, I'm kind of on the same wavelength as you guys. I I believe this. I think Hicks will be out of the rotation when Mats gets back. I think they've already probably decided on that. They may already decide on it right now as well. I think he may get one more shot, and if he struggles, you may see them add someone like Zach Thompson or Connor Thomas to the 40-man roster, and then they decide to bring somebody up and move Hicks to the bullpen already. But I, I, I agree. I think the experiment is over. When Matt comes back, I think you see Hicks go to the bullpen, and I could see them sticking with Matt Libertor in the rotation for a good stretch. 65780 is the air covered service tax line. Guys, believe it or not, Alexei Torbchenko is for the Blues this year what Oscar Sundquist was for them in 2019. Let's get into that on the other side. But I was going to say that I'm going to... I want to expand on that. We'll do that on the other side. Has Alexei Torbchenko become your 2019 version of Oscar Sundquist? Talk about that next. You're on BK and Ferrario. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. such a good skater and he plays so direct and I think whatever line he goes to you know they have a good shift (laughs) that's what it seems like to me so I just made that switch and they ended up you know getting a goal and um, I thought he had a heck of a game that was Craig Berube last night after the game talking about Alexei Torpchenko who looked a lot like Oscar Sundquist from 2019 last night you want to trade with Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Guys, Oscar Sundquist was a huge piece of what the Blues needed to be able to win the Cup back in 2019. And he's probably more of a goal-scoring threat than what you have right now in Alexei Torpchenko. I want to say that on the front end. I don't know that the ceiling of Torpchenko is as high as the ceiling was with Oscar Sundquist. But he brings some of the similar elements in terms of when he is around, you can tell he has a buzz about him. Like the pregame stuff that he does with Nathan McKinnon, the way that he plays, or excuse me, Nathan McKinnon, Nathan Walker, uh, the way that he plays on the ice, the physical element, the space he creates, there's the predictability, all of that. And then you hear the comments post game from Craig Berube. He sounded like what we heard earlier this season talking about Jake Neighbors. It's the same kind of thing that you're seeing here with Toropchenko. Alex, can he be for you what Sonny was, or at least something resembling that the rest of this playoff run, however long that may be? Yes and no. It depends on, on what you are asking, because Oscar Sundquist was pivotal in that run because he did provide offense on the fourth line. He provided something that frankly, no other team had. They had weapons at every position with he, Ivan Barbashev, and Alexander Steen. But if you're asking for a guy who provides energy, a guy who forechecks hard, and a guy who provides a spark, yeah, that is an Oscar Sundquist for you. And I think you saw that last night. Like, Alexei Torpchenko got moved up to a line because Craig Berube felt like, you know what, he's bringing something, he's playing well, let's see if he can provide a spark for this line that we need to get going in Shannon Kairou. And lo and behold, Torpchenko is the one that takes the shot that results in Kairou slash Falk tipping the puck into the back of the net. So, on that sense, he absolutely can be Oscar Sundquist. But you're right, and I'm glad you prefaced it by saying it. I don't know if Torpchenko, Torpchenko, I think, has a lot more 
offensive upside, if that makes sense. Like, he does more than Oscar Sundquist than just go to the net. He's got skill. But Sundquist had a shot. And that I'm not sure of yet with Alexi Torpchenko. I think Torpchenko can create more offense with his playmaking ability and the ability to uh, pass the puck. He's got more speed than I was Oscar about to say, Sundquist. That's the other element that he brings that Sonny did not have. And he's bigger than Sonny. I mean, he is six foot six. Like he looks like Colton Pareko out there. So I think you'll get. I think you're going to get basically a little bit of what Oscar Sundquist provided on that fourth line. It's just a matter of finding consistency with that other player. And if he moves up to that top line, then you're looking for somebody to play with Barbashev and Bozak. And Nathan Walker looked like that guy. Yeah, I, I was so impressed with him. And I have been really for the last couple of weeks. A lot of the time you see guys that play in this role, the guys that burst onto the scene and they're like, wow, that guy, super impressive towards the end of the season. Then you get into the playoffs and it's just a totally different game. And they don't have the same sort of impact. You don't notice them as much when they're on the ice. It's been the opposite with Toropchenko. I think he has raised his game to another level since we've entered the postseason. And he's being rewarded now, Alex. Early on in the playoffs, you look back at his game log from the, the early portion of that wild series. Seven minutes, five minutes, eight minutes, seven minutes. And this series over the last three, four games... 11 minutes, 8.45, 7.5, and 11.20 last night. He's being rewarded by Craig Berube, and you saw late in that third period with the Blues being tied and then down, he was getting ice time. You saw in overtime, he's getting ice time. That is not something I would have anticipated coming into the playoffs. If you told me that going into the playoffs that Torpchenko was going to be playing 11-plus minutes regularly against the Colorado Avalanche, I would have said something's gone horribly wrong for them. It's been the opposite. He has stepped up his game, and they needed him to because Barbashev has not been the same guy as we saw in the regular season. No shots against him. It's just the reality of what we've seen so far in the playoffs. They needed somebody to replace some of what Barbie brought in the regular season. So far, they go about it a little differently, and the size certainly is different, but Torpchenko has been able to bring something that the Blues were clearly lacking on that third line, and I'll be really curious to see if they decide to stick with that going into game number six. And you know, one thing that Craig Ruby does that I don't see other coaches doing um, in the National Hockey League right now in the playoffs is mid-game, Barubi's making changes. Yep. And he's not just making changes to his top line. Like, look, Jared Bednar did that this season. Mid-game, he flipped Landeskog back up with Rantanen and McKinnon. But how many teams do you see that say, we are going to give a guy who may not have a whole lot of playoff experience. Heck, Torpchenko never played in the playoffs before this this series, essentially. Um, how many coaches do you see basically saying, well, this guy is playing like he's going to bring a spark. And so we're moving him up to a top nine role or a top six role. I don't see other coaches doing that. And that is an advantage for Craig Berube. Last night was one of those moments, once again, where Berube said, I'm going to try this and see what happens. And it worked because Torpchenko was influential in them tying up that game and sending it to overtime from the shot that he took. So Alexei Torpchenko, although there will be some downfalls, you're going to see him make mistakes at time at times, but he inspires and puts confidence into young players like this that become impactful players in the future. And I saw somebody on the Air Comfort Service text line say, 
you know what? It, what is the what? Are, what is the contract situation for Alexei Torbchenko? Look, you got a guy who's 22 years old who is just coming out of his rookie entry level contract. He's a restricted free agent. I would imagine he's probably going to be playing for a million dollars or less next season on a one way one, contract. One year left next year on the current deal at seven fifty. Oh, see, so I thought he was an RFA after, after this next season. Year. So oh, see, I thought it was this season. You've got you've got some control over Alexei Torbchenko. He's got here for the long here. haul, and he's going to get a one way contract, and he's going to be playing for the league minimum. And I wouldn't be surprised to seeing this guy playing third line minutes for you next season yeah I, I think it's between him and Jake neighbors Th- those two guys are probably going to be battling for that third line role and I think both of them could succeed in such a role and it's nice to be able to have these guys that can play up and down the lineup I think part of the secret sauce of the blues this year early on was Ivan Barbashev being able to do exactly that you could throw him on any role on any line he could fill whatever role was necessary there I think Torpchenko has some of that in his game. He's a different player than Ivan Barbashev is, but he brings some of those elements to the ice. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up next, we're going to wrap a bow on everything that we saw last night. We'll kind of get back into the game number five, what we saw there, what it means for game six between the Blues and the Avs here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. If you missed anything from today's show, you should check out the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, and the free 101 ESPN app is where you find it. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. If you missed our conversation earlier today with Jeff Passan, you will not uh, want to miss that one. He admitted, yeah, Yadier Molina going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer, and he would vote for him to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. You would also miss the answer to our question for your chance to win right now a pair of tickets to see this Cardinals, uh, the Cardinals on Friday night take on the Brewers at Bush Stadium. This is the 40-year anniversary of the 1982 World Series team, and on Friday night, 25,000 fans age of 16 or older will take home a 1982 inspired baseball t-shirt get all of the details for friday night's 1982 inspired baseball t-shirt giveaway at cardinals.com slash promotions but right now is your opportunity to win at 65780 that is the air comfort service text line if you are texter number 101 and you can tell us the movie that joey referenced on the show in comparison to last night's game earlier today you are taking home that pair of tickets to see the cardinals on friday night All right, Alex, let's get into the rewind because we got to recap this game from last night. Tomorrow we're going to do a lot of previewing uh, going into game number six. Your overall thoughts on what we witnessed last night are what? That the Blues just found a new level of confidence going into the another elimination game. I just I think right now you're looking at the tale of two different teams. One team that thought that the series was over and is now getting on an airplane and doesn't want to, and another team that's thinking we are still in this and just recognize that they can play with this team. I thought that game two was the Mark Stone moment from when the Vegas beat the Colorado Avalanche last year that said, hey, we could play with these guys. I think the Blues just found that second Mark Stone moment in this series at even strength because they just outperformed against this team. And now mentally, I think Colorado knows that they are seeing a team that they have not seen yet this season. And I think the Blues are thinking that they've just got some depth scoring. So I just I think right now Colorado's the team that's backs are against the wall. And I think it's going to be a 
I think it's going to be a larger task for Colorado to find a way to eliminate this confident group than it will be for the Blues to continue what they're doing and force a Game 7. Tanner, what are your big-picture thoughts on what we witnessed last night uh, at Ball Arena? Big-picture thoughts was that's just a game that I don't think you see a lot of teams come away with. A lot of teams don't have that kind of experience to have that adversity to come back in a game in which they're down 3 nothing. A lot of teams, we talked about it with the – uh, in the Minnesota Wild Series, team goes down 3 nothing. and already thinking about their plans for vacation. And, and I don't think the Blues have that in them with Craig Brewery behind the bench and the experience they have and what it takes to win a cup and the adversity that they went through this year dealing with COVID and having five different goaltenders. So I, I just think that that's a team that – that's a game that not a lot of teams come back from. There might be only two, I think, in the National Hockey League that could do it, the Blues and then potentially the Tampa Bay Lightning who have won two straight cups. That's a game you're never going to forget. You're going to be telling your kids that you saw that game last night. It's similar to the Brad Lidge moment against the Houston Astros. Didn't matter how the rest of that series went. That's a moment you're never going to forget. It's similar to game six in 2011. Different because obviously that was in the World Series and we know how it ended and history will remember it more fondly because of that. That's one of those that for the rest of your life, you're going to remember the Blues coming back from three goals down in a potential elimination game without Tory Krug, without Jordan Bennington, uh, when for most of the series, your secondary scoring had been absent. Vladimir Tarasenko hadn't really announced his presence. Robert Thomas was invisible. You had nothing so far from Pavel Buchnevich, and they found a way. They overcame a hat trick from one of the best players in the NHL. They overcame what was one of the best postseason moments that we could see this year from Nathan McKinnon, where he thought he had eliminated the Blues and made it to the Western Conference Finals for the first time in his career. All of that happened, and your goalie that you didn't have a ton of confidence in coming into the game gave up two early goals, and it didn't matter. It didn't matter. You overcame all of that. And that's where the stuff that we talked about in early December and game four against the Minnesota Wild, all of those calluses that the Blues had built earlier this season, to your point, Tanner, that's where they came into effect. That was just pure guts and gumption and heart and determination and more want to. I have so much respect for what the Blues pulled off last night. And you know what? It's hard for a team to kill that off in one game. If that was it, and that's why to the question earlier that we had of uh, which which would be harder for Colorado to swallow the uh, blowout in the game or a comeback like this a blowout in the game a Colorado can team say you know what that was just a bad game by us this is a game that Colorado is going to look at and say man how are we going to stop this motivated squad again this feels an awful lot like Game Five in that Minnesota Wild series, where Vladimir Tarasenko just basically said, "I'm here, boys." But you can also comp it a little bit to Game Four, where the Blues felt like they were shorthanded. That, and, that would be my comp. And in this game, they were shorthanded. They they needed Billy Huso to be good for them, and he was good enough for them. And now they need him to be even better in Game Number Six. And I still don't know if they're going to win this series or not. Oh, it's it's going to be really tough. It's going to be a really tough task to be able to win two straight against this Colorado Avalanche team. Blues but frankly, and six. I, I'm, we're getting some text saying basically this game will not be remembered that way unless you win the series. I disagree. They lost the Monday Night Miracle series of the Calgary Flames. Totally disagree. Yeah, I, I'm, I, this is this is one you'll remember. That that is a special performance that uh, that doesn't get quickly forgotten. Yeah. Hey, the fast lane's coming up from two to six, and they are going to square off once again this year with the Rizzuto Show from 105.7 The Point and the Softball Home Run Derby. It's all hosted by the O'Fallon Hoops coming up on June 4th at Car Shield Field in O'Fallon. It's brought to you by Mattress Direct. There will be fast pitch home run derby that night. 
featuring Rick Ankiel, Ray Langford, Daniel Descalso, and Ralphiel for call. GA tickets on sale right now for just $15, but you can go get them today at 101ESPN.com. For Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. We will be back live from Enterprise Center tomorrow to preview game number six. The Fast Lane is coming up next. Looking forward to their breakdown of last night's game here on 101 ESPN. He scores! Tyler Bozak in overtime! Bozy, baby! Gotta be kidding. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.